right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! All right, welcome to a new episode of the Just Basketball Show. I'm Chris Manning. We have a very special guest today. The one, the only, Adam Mares, DNVR. No one knows the Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic better than Adam. Adam, what's up, brother? How are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for that intro. I, uh, that might be true. That's possibly it's true. Do I get any intro? Chris, do I get any intro? Yeah, look, no one knows the Phoenix Suns okay. better than my co-host on the Just Special, Brendan Clean, the man, the myth, the legend. Brendan, how are you? I was you? all ready to, you? To, to, to do a wave, to do some sort of something, and then it's just, no, nah, Adam's the, I mean, great. Like, I'm happy to pump up the guests, but like, I'm, I'm not even here. <laughs> look, Tunnel Vision, I got excited. I, uh, I, got, I haven't, you know, I, I don't think Adam and I, we've like, I think traded some DMs, but I have not like talked to him since we, we talked at Summer League, like, the first year of COVID, which was, it feels about like 90 years ago at this point. It's, we're in weird times. So Brendan, my apologies. Congratulations to Chelsea football club. That's, that is your win today. My friend, your, One round your football down, team is zero more to go. I think, I think that's the end of the rope here, but yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars lit on, lit on fire by Todd Bully. Amazing stuff. Okay. Jam pack show today. We're going to talk about the MVP race. We're going to talk about Pau Gasol getting his jersey retired, which is very cool. Talk about jaw a little bit, but we're going to start with Cavs Celtics. I don't know. Adam, I want to ask you this. Where are you at on the Cavs? Man, they're my, well, where I'm at is they're my favorite team of the East by a long shot. Um, and you, how is everyone more positive than, about the Cavs than me? The I'm person not. who watches them all the I'm time not. because well, you're, you know emotionally that. A, you're emotionally invested and also because you watch them more closely. So you see the, sure. I, I think when you're emotionally invested, you see the flaws more than you see the positives. This is my own personal experience, you know, like with the Nuggets. Um, where I'm always more nervous about what they can't do than excited about what they can. But with the Cavs, I just love them because I think their backcourt is, is super fun. Mitchell and Garland are just fast, lightly electric, um, can score in a variety of ways and just play a fun style. And then I'm the biggest Mobley fan. I love bigs that can do multiple things. And I just love yeah. the way that he can play. And by the way, I love Jared Allen too. I think Jared Allen is one of the best personalities and one of the ultimate like just do your job guys. And he is just yes. so content to do his job. So that's my team of the East. I love them. I don't know how good they are. I mean, I think they're really good. They have like upset potential, but do they have finals potential? I don't buy that, but I don't care. Yeah, they're not there yet. So this game they play against Boston, they're not three and one against the Celtics on the year. Every win against Boston for them has come in overtime, which is which is kind of a weird little quirk. They're seven and zero in overtime as well. <laughs> which don't know what to make of that, but probably they like needed this. Probably nothing. Um, they got asked questions about like, does this like prepare for the playoffs? I'm just like, probably not. I'm like in my head. I was like, I kind of understand why you'd ask this, but I also just like, think that's probably not how this works. Um, they needed this one. And like the effort for this game for them was like largely bad. Donovan Mitchell showed up, played really hard. It was great. Mm. Evan Mobley, that guy doesn't know not how to play hard. I love, mm. I've also just like head over heels in love with how good Evan Mobley is. But, like, everyone else, like, didn't play that hard. I think Garland included, Jared Allen included. Boston also really iced Jared Allen out of this game in a very interesting way that I think is worth kind of monitoring. They did that in the last one, too. They were punishing him in that last game, too. When they got him to to kind of come out toward the perimeter, they were like, hey, Robert Williams, would you like a lob? And he didn't even play in this game, but they've done that to him. They, They put... They put two two guards or like a wing and a guard between him and the ball when he was in the dunker spot. And then like they also just put Jalen Brown on him. So the Celtics, the Cavs weren't going to like, they're not going to run the pick and roll to get the switch with Jalen Brown. Like that's the opposite of why you do that. It was very interesting stuff from, from Joe Mazzula to, to go there. But then like they, they play really hard in the fourth. Lamar Stevens is like the kickstarter. I just, this is, this just feels like the opposite for, for the momentum of a team that is supposed to be ascending. Like, <laughs> The Knicks don't have these kind of like playing hard issues. The 76ers don't have them right now. And that this, I don't know how much of a red flag this is, but it feels like one to me a little bit. Even though they win, even though the net rating for them is great, the effort stuff is a little wonky to me at this point. Adam's shaking his head. I'm curious to see why. I just, I think March basketball could be defined by like um, uneven effort. And so I think a lot of people, I, I just see like, 
this is I didn't watch this game, so I can't like speak to the specifics of this sure. one. Did you did you at least see Grant Williams saying he's oh, going to make both free okay. throws and then he yeah, missed? Them? I did see that part for sure. I think everybody in, that follows basketball saw that one. That's like the most viral moment of the year for good reason. Um, <laughs> but you do pick up on just like the narratives. Like when you talk to people around different teams, you pick up patterns that it's like, oh, everybody feels the same way. I'm concerned about the bench. I'm not sure about the effort night tonight. And I think it's just the nature of being in the part, this portion of the schedule that Denver played last week. They played um, Memphis in Memphis and lost by 25, 30 points. And it was like a zero effort. Nobody showed up. They played on national television the very next game. So you could tell it was like they were more focused on that one than the one before. And then they play Memphis a week later and in the fourth quarter just completely dominate them and look incredible. And it's like, do these games mean something? It's like, no, just they weren't up for that one. They were up for this one. And I think it's just so much more common than people realize in this point of the schedule. Brennan, what do you what do you take away from from Cavs Celtics? It felt to me a little bit like uh, a game that that kind of proved my my theory on the Cavs that we were talking about the other day. Maybe the effort is somewhat of it, or I don't even want to paint that these guys who maybe were less so this game are always going to be that. But I guess my point is Donovan Mitchell tends to always feel like he at least can turn that on. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every game Donovan Mitchell's ever played, he 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 came out with heavy energy like. I don't know that, but he, he always seems. I mean, he did it in the playoffs last year. Right, we like yeah. know that. Did anybody like, in you know, Utah? Like, yeah, I think. Yeah. I think. I think no. uh, that was a, a a group of zombies that were rolling a ball out every night on in that one. But to me, Mitchell, it just feels like he's going to be that guy. And and I guess that's kind of to the point we were we were talking about the other day, right? Of like you were telling me they're not as reliant on Mitchell as I seem to think they are, and we were going back and forth. I just think when a game is hard for this team. When whether it's effort, whether it's scheme, whether it's whatever, he's going to have to be that guy. It works all the time, like we talked about also. It's not even always a negative, but it just kind of worries me when it when so often it falls on one dude to kind of pick up the slack. Mobley was awesome, but uh, 34 shot attempts, no one else took more than 18. So, Yeah, I, I think the biggest weakness for this team, and it's like I, I watch like Denver and as, like, as a point of comparison, let's say, and it's like, they have done a, it took time and like, you know, not everyone, not all these guys are like perfect bulletproof players. They're going to have some bad games. That's just how this works. But like Cleveland's depth, like beyond like four is just like very in a weird spot at this moment. Too. Like I like Okoro. They got great minutes from Lamar Stevens who just will show up and play hard. But like Dean Wade, Ben Simmons in this in against Boston, like was at the rim and just didn't look at it and pass the ball right. away. And I was like, what, what, are, what are we doing here, Dean? Did you I'm use that a, as a I'm verb? Hugest, was that a verb that we just... Turn that yeah, Ben into? Simmons is a verb. I, I don't mean to be like cruel to Ben Simmons, but Ben Simmonsing is like a verb to me now. Got it. It just it just like when I it's like the only way I can describe like what what he did. It just immediately went to my head. Um, I'm curious to see like how Rubio looks in playoffs. He's not looked like himself of late. I think that's a problem. I don't know. I there, there's just something that feels a little bit off what, here. What, and about, like, what, it about, just, what about Ricky Rubio? Like that he looks like he's lost a step from these injuries or something, or aged out. Yeah. Okay. His offense. His. So the on-off splits for him defensively have been great. Defensively, like the, they've been really good with him on the floor. He's playing big, all that stuff. But he doesn't have any of the juice that he had last year making shots. He's not. He's like was twenty five percent at the rim as of like two days ago, which is like what on what, like, like four. Like he's really like one, one of four from the at the rim. I mean, how many has he um, even taken? He's not. I, I mean, but like he's not getting there. Yeah. And like when he gets there, it's like on like like twenty attempts. It's just like not there. He's only playing like twenty minutes a game. The the Rubio thing just like hasn't happened. And they don't need him to be last year Rubio, but they need him to be good. And he's like not good right now. And that's it's it's also a bummer because it's Ricky freaking Rubio who's like. Yeah. A I mean, I here's my thing though: as you get closer to the playoffs, because the Cavs are going to be one of the teams, right? So they're going to you know they'll have the chance. Everybody, after you get through team player number seven on a roster, I think every team yeah. is like, I don't know about this guy. I don't know about this guy. And the truth is, nobody knows about that guy. They don't really impact the series that often. Um, and then by the time you get to game four, they're not playing anyway. So I, I understand that concern. I look at this. I thought the thing you said earlier, though, was way more interesting, which is I'm looking at mm. the shot attempts here, and I see 34 from Donovan Mitchell. I've, I like Donovan Mitchell. This is by nobody. This is going to sound like really hypercritical of him. The one thing I've always thought about Donovan Mitchell is that he trusts himself significantly more than he trusts anyone else. And in Utah, this felt this became scapegoating. I always felt for some of the other guys that they had on the roster. When I looked around, I was like, those mm -hmm. guys are good. Like, I don't know. They're not terrible and competent players. 
but it would always become the Donovan Mitchell show. And so I don't know if this happened in this game, but I have noticed it sometimes when watching Cleveland where I'm, where I just sit back and I think, I don't know that it's best to just clear out for Donovan over and over and over and over again in the, in key moments and in the rhythm of the game. Um, I don't think that's a way you win a championship or, or like you go far, develop a team. And they're at a point right now where they should be developing that identity with all of their other players. So I look at 34 field goal attempts and I go, yeah, that's, (laughs) I don't know how it happened because I didn't watch the game, but I'm guessing that it's like a trend that I just don't like. I think that's fair. I think the other thing about it is like, he is sometimes the guy on the team that is like, I have to like take, I'm like going to, he's just going to play hard all the time. And sometimes other guys have are just kind of like kind of vibing in and out of the game. And I wonder if he feels like he has to just like assert himself. And he's not like one of the, like the, the superstar guards that we have that I think like his best skills are really sometimes empowering of others. He's great and he will make, you know, get guys open threes and things, but he's not like generating and, and really empowering guys in kind of in that way. But, but this um, is part likes, of my point. He likes though. going to take over mode. Yeah, but this is yeah, my no, point. You're right. I think I it agree comes with you. from a good place. Like, I don't think this is a mm-hmm. selfish thing. I do think it comes from a, like, we have to win. How do I do that? And it's like, though, that not that way, not by dominating the possessions and this or that you have to find these other ways. And honestly, players go one of two directions. I actually think this is a little bit of a criticism I have for Damian Lillard. As great as he is. And I don't think he has a selfish bone in his body. I don't think it's any of that. But it's just that throughout his career, when push has come to shove, it's I need more of me. And I just don't know if that's true. I think that the, the more we get into this, the more it's like there's a cap to that taking 40 shots from the guard spot, especially in the way that he does. There's a cap to how good you can be of a team like that. I think it's right. Brennan, do you, how, do you, how are you feeling about Mitchell at that point in time as like a lead guy? I think that we should do an episode every week where I make a point and then we bring Adam back on and then he can make my point like more specifically and a little bit better than I made it. Cause that's pretty much what I was saying the other day. Right, Chris. I mean, I just get yeah. nervous about a guy like that. And I was a huge Mitchell fan in Utah. I think it, scapegoating of the other guys or it, it was hard to parse, right? Because it's like they had so much talent. It didn't always fit perfectly. You know, you could pick, you could pick nits. They didn't necessarily stack up to the warriors or the rockets or any of those teams, but you always felt like, why, why isn't it working? And I, it's, it's not ever going to be one thing, but when I would watch them, I would kind of always have that part of me where I'm like, like, I don't know. I even look at, let's look at like Royce O'Neal with the Nets this year. What, what was like the big story with him when they first came in before all the trades and the Nets imploded dude can pass. Like he can handle the ball and like get five right. assists. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, wow, you get him in the open court, you give him the ball. He can actually like do some basketball stuff. And it's like, well, look at that. He gets out of the jazz and even he looks better. So I don't know. I, I don't know enough about Utah to kind of like say it, but I do think when I look at the Cavs, they do have a lot more overall talent and a lot more dynamic types of things they can do with their offense. And the fact that it does look the same. So I like even the last Boston game, Chris, like that comeback that they had was largely him just going supernova, taking pull up threes and doing his thing. And it, I think they fell short in that one. Um, Mm-hmm. And again, it's like it's going to be great some nights. They're going to win a lot of games that way. But when you're talking about, you know, championship, I think that's kind of the, the the question mark that I have. And then maybe one day he'll do it and there won't be a question mark anymore. But it is just different than how most guys play. And he's small and all those things that go along with that. I will say, as you wrap this up, he did the other night go out of his way to kind of say like Darius Garland is the head of the sneak for us on offense. And I wonder if he privately is like, I need to push Darius to be more. I really because Darius is kind of naturally like a passive like pick his spots game within the game right. guard. He's very kind of old school in that way. But you he he could take from like watching Dame and like take two more pull up threes a game and just be selfish. Like the shots are there if he wants them and like he doesn't always want to take them. Right. It's funny. He's overcorrecting by calling him the head of the snake, though. <laughs> and I love Darius Garland, <laughs> but it's like <laughs> maybe you could say we're yeah. a two pronged attack or something like that. But yeah, you might have overcorrected. Yeah. Yeah, and then like Evan Mobley is going to force himself into this conversation in like six months anyway. Like Mobley is going to be like initiating from from the elbows, initiating from the perimeter. Like, let's hope so. Heck. Chris, I I see. I'm I'm jumping ahead in our notes because I see a take that yeah. I dislike from you about Pagasol and his jersey retirement, uh, which it just says here I'm anti jersey retirement. Okay, let's move. That's let's just move to this. a Let hater me take. Myself. This that is, is awful. No, it's not. It's a great take. No, this is a great take. This is a great take. I firmly think this. 
maybe this is my soccer fandom that like makes me think this that like we are too like like I get retiring some jerseys like in basketball like I kind of understand like if the Cavs never have anyone wear 23 again if the Bulls never have anyone wear 23 again that's, that's fine the if the standard? Lakers want to have the standard wow, is the two best yes! players ever <laughs> yes only retire like the great like the Lakers uh, don't want to have anyone wear 8 a, and 24 again this is a, that's great this is a separate argument though because you are you think that the jersey retirements are too lenient not that they should not exist yes all right well I think they take I think we take them too far like honor guys, put them in a ring of honor. Give them like a whole hubbubaloo at games. Like, but like, like the, the, you should have to be like all time like historically great to get jersey retired. Like Jokic is gonna get should get his retired in Denver. Fifteen should just be like off limits forever. That's fine. I think but the like, Suns. I think the way the Suns do it is anybody who's in the ring of honor automatically that is the same thing as a, a jersey retirement. So I didn't. I didn't honestly know yeah. places did it separate. It. I thought it was just always both. Yeah, the cat. Like the Cavs have like Nate Thurmond who was with the team for like one year, <laughs> like Bingo Smith, yeah. like like they just have like a bunch of kind of like random ones. And I just I just look if you don't like, I understand if you want to like honor guys and like the Cavs are gonna like retire zero. But like if someone in the future like in like five years wanted to wear number zero and like take Kevin Love's number, that like that's fine. Like that's okay. Yeah, like, Kevin Love's. You can still honor the player. Uh, the Nuggets did Matumbo, who didn't have, who didn't play in Denver that long. He has a very iconic yeah, moment. What are we you doing? Know? But so I'm I'm with you on the the standard should probably be a little bit higher for jersey retirements. I'm the with Suns you. have like the Suns have. Well, the, the 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 trickiest one with the Suns is Barkley. And it's kind of like he probably deserves it because he was the best player on a finals team, but he only played here for four years. That's yeah. always the tricky thing with Barkley and Phoenix. It's kind of the team he's maybe the most yeah. associated with because he won an yep. MVP, but he really wasn't here for very long. And he yeah, lives here now, think of him. you know, if you tell me Charles Barkley, I just think Phoenix Suns. So to me, that's funny. Yeah, I do, too. I think he was in Philly the longest, to be honest. With I think you. he was, too. But it was yeah. also the era where like basketball really took off as this like cultural relic outside of the Lakers and, and Celtics in the 80s. In the 90s is when it took off, and that's when he was in Phoenix. Yeah. Like like okay, Brennan, let's say let's say Kevin Durant like wins a title for the Phoenix Suns this year or next year, right? It's a no. But he but he plays for the Suns for like four oh. years. Is that is that enough? I, I just tend to think no, but he's such a unique example. I actually I had Marcus Thompson on my podcast talking about kind of the legacy side of this whole thing, just what it means for KD and kind of where he's at in his career. He told me he could see Durant getting his jersey retired in every city he's played in. Probably not Brooklyn was was what <laughs> I don't we agreed think Brooklyn. on. Yeah. But the other three, three it, places having your jersey retired is a very modern NBA type of thing to have happen to you. I mean, LeBron will probably have that, right? But uh, that's that's kind of funny. We're probably gonna get more weirdness, Chris. So I'm sorry for your your feelings, but it's it's just gonna get this wonkier, I think. Yes, but I, I will say I'm very happy that Pau Gasol is getting this moment and like getting this thing, and it clearly means a lot to him. Um, like if you read the quotes in the Dave McMenamin piece that went up at ESP, on ESPN on Monday, the the quote is like, "quote Just trying to be a little by little taken in and just digest and comprehend that my number, my jersey will be up there with those great, amazing players and names of history of our game. And obviously being next to Kobe, seeing his name still emotional. And I know that's going to be the triggering point for me. So those two factors together are just a tough cocktail. We should like, do, I think like all sports should like do a better job of like honoring guys like this though. So like, like almost like retiring their jerseys might be a good way to do that, Chris. <laughs> but in a different no, way. Ring <laughs> ring of honor, bring them out, yeah. do a bobblehead, yeah, yeah. like play a bunch of highlight reels. Like, like, okay. So if you're like, in, like, let's say in Phoenix in like 10 years, we win a title, you know, like pick like a role guy who is like a really big deal on those teams, a fan favorite, bring them back. Do a, do like a whole night with them. Like have, give them courtside seats, do that stuff. If the nuggets win the title this year, in like six years, bring back Vlatko and like have him like <laughs> get a courtside seats and like party if he's not still on the team or like uh, Jeff, bring back Uncle Jeff Green and like give him like a, a night at the arena and celebrate him in that way. But you don't need to retire his jersey to yeah. do it, but you can still inform people about what these guys were and like how cool they were in these moments and what they accomplished in franchises. That, that's just where I'm at. Do you think but Phil Jackson will show up for this? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, what is Phil Jackson even doing I now? think he will. I don't know. How could he not? He has to. I mean, he was the coach. Probably. I think those things are really cool. Like, I, one of my favorite off-court NBA moments of the past, like, five years or whenever it was, was when they retired Duncan's jersey in San Antonio and they, like, put it yeah, on NBA TV, 
Pop talked. Yep. So it was like the only honest, like on TV moment we've ever gotten from Pop. And he like got choked up, cried. The whole Tim let me coach him and that let everybody else know that I had to coach them too, all that stuff. That was really cool. So you do get some of those awesome moments. Maybe it's like you have to do the Jersey retirement to get those people to show up and like take it seriously. Cause yeah, the Vlaco courtside seats is cool, but like nobody's going to fly across the country to be part of that. You know, <laughs> they might though. Like, like these guys, I, there is like a thing when you get past your career, you get past your prime, you want to still like be acknowledged for what you did and respect it. There was just the athletic had like a, they were interviewed a bunch of former players and they're like, we, I want to be respected for what I did. No, I think he would come, of course. But I mean, like, you're not, you know, in 15 years, is Mike Malone coming for that? Whatever. Like, that's kind of what I mean. Like, you almost have to do it up. Otherwise, you have to make it a thing. Otherwise, it doesn't maybe not feel as special. I think it's like the University of Miami. Every home game for basketball, they bring back a legend. And every night is themed out for that guy. That's kind of a cool way to do it, especially for colleges where there's just so many. But what you're talking about, though, is tradition. And this is why, like, with the Lakers, their tradition is so deep. And so their ability to do this, if you're a Charlotte Hornet, you know, like (laughs) for one, the bar is going to be, and I'm not trying to rag on them. Like I come from a small market, you know, I have small market energy over here covering the nuggets, but I just know how it is. We all all kind of do. We all kind of have small market energy. Brennan's going to be like, I'm the sleeping giant, but like Phoenix, you know, Phoenix, Phoenix is just doesn't realize that they are small market. They, they see themselves as LA, but they are not, they are the (laughs) feet. And I'm talking about this as a city, not as a team. I'm talking about this as like, yes, city wise. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a suburb of California. That's not, but but that views itself as Hollywood. But I think um, with Charlotte, like the the bar is just inevitably going to be significantly lower. This is why I'm almost surprised with Pau Gasol. I mean, he did win two titles and he was a great player. But is he the? It's it's. I don't. I'm not trying to make this a conversation. But he's probably among the worst players retired in Lakers history, which is weird to think. Oh. I'm pulling this. I'm pulling up the the Lakers. I mean, retired just because so. the Lakers have half of the top twenty players all time are retired and they're in their That's arena. True. It probably is the case. Um, I don't know. I have kind of a soft spot for Pau. I feel like the you know we we talk about those guys that are like the sacrificial lambs of of championship teams. Chris Bosh is like you know the famous one, and in modern times and all that, it's like who had to really take that step back and learn the lessons and all that stuff and like. I think Powell's about as good of an example of that as there can be. Like Kobe was actively talking, like bullying him via the media that first season. You know, he's too soft. We have to really teach him what it means to be a winner and all this stuff. And then he does it. That's kind of cool. Yeah. All right. So it's Kobe for eight and 24 twice. Wilt, Powell, Elgin Baylor, Gail Goodrich, Magic, Kareem, Shaq, James Worthy, Jerry West, Jamal yeah. Wilkes, George Mikan. You got a few in there that I guess are this tier the of the Pau Gasol tier, which is, again, not a knock. He's a phenomenal player. I'm just saying there's a Chamberlain, yeah. Shaq, Kobe tier, and then there's a Pau, you know, worthy that, tier. Uh, Pau's averages with the Lakers, 17.7 per game, 9.9 rebounds, 1.4 blocks, two titles, three-time All-Star. That's the, those last parts are the ones that matter, though. The title, yeah, the title in for the Lakers. Nuggets win a title. I'm retiring like, five jerseys. I'm, I'm putting. I might get six. I might get somebody <laughs> off the bench. I'm putting them up. That's there. what I told Marcus. Put, I was like, I think if the Suns win their first title this year, they'll actually honor all 15 guys plus the dogs of everybody and like yeah. the wives and girlfriends will all be enshrined because it's going to be that big. Mm-hmm. Okay, but by that logic, like Sasha Khan should have like a retired jersey for Great. the Cleveland Cavaliers, the more the which merrier. is like an, ins- an insane, an insane sense to say. I love Dante Jones, Mo, Mo Williams, and fifty-two, not two. Jr. Jr. deserves one without question. That's that's a given. He. They they just mended fences with Jr. So like I would be okay with that. They were not uh was not great there for a little bit between those two, which is a real bummer. Okay, big meat of discussion of today, MVP race. Here's the odds from BetMGM. Adam, we're going to try to do this in a way that is not like going to kill you. Oh, it's going to kill because, me, I like, promise. I'm sh- okay, BetMGM odds. Jokic at minus 400, Embiid at plus 650, Giannis at plus 650, Tatum at plus 3,000, Luka at plus 4,000. I would not be surprised if any one of those top three won it, but this definitely feels like Jokic's award to lose. I don't have any problem with that. I don't. <laughs> What an he's, insane he's take, incredible. Chris. This is the best, but they're, they're the best team in the league. He's the best player in that team. He's an offense upon himself. Like I, oh. like like they're all really good. 
but he's like all the number, all the analytics. Here's, really here's, I'll get ahead of, as well. I'll get ahead of this. Here's because there's all these conversations that I think are not interesting about the MVP that have unfortunately <laughs> taken over it. Here, here, uh, like like the race. Like the I mean, let's, let's talk about yeah, like the race stuff and and you know some of the, these other offshoots of it, or or even just the legacy of like how could we give it when he's never done this? I think those things are also like if that's the standard, then we got to adjust everything. But whatever the um. The thing I'll say that's most uncomfortable for me in thinking about Jokic as a three-time MVP is that what makes Jokic great is his ability to create chemistry with others. And so this is an individual Mm -hmm. award that is talking about his greatness as a collaborator, which to me is like two things that don't make sense. I mean, I always say this. Jokic and Murray have the best chemistry of any two players in the NBA. Does not say they're most talented, but they just have the most chemistry, like the, the their ability, their synergy, their ability to read each other. There's it's unmatched. Him and Aaron Gordon have a similar chemistry relative to their usage. Like they don't run as many two man actions, but when they do, they know exactly how to read each other. They can do these things blindfolded. KCP comes to Denver his first year. He has a career year in every category. It's not a coincidence. And then you have Michael Porter, who is this real story of the Nuggets this year has been that Michael Porter has been this like young hasn't been able to put it together. Seems like he doesn't get basketball. He has so much to learn. And this is the year where he's finally like bought in and has become a part of a team. So for me, Jokic's greatness is his ability to collaborate. And that's why it's just weird to give him an individual award. Even if I think he could deserve it, it's just, it almost takes away from what actually makes him special. I have never heard anyone say it that way. And I kind of, that's perfect. I think that's perfect. The ultimate team player. So to give him an individual award is like inherently missing the point in some ways. It is hilarious to me as I've seen as this year, it's gotten even bigger and wilder and more obnoxious, the debate around it to have that all happening around a player who might care less about all of that than anyone who could be in his position. Like that's the, the funny dichotomy of it to me is like, you will not hear him chime in on anything Perk has to say about the MVP race. You know what I mean? Right. It's just this funny collision. <laughs> um, the way that I wanted to to put it to you, though, Adam, as like just a basketball fan, separating yourself from the Denver side of it as much as you can. I do think it's fine and fair to kind of look back at anybody who wins three straight MVPs or three MVPs, period, and try to contextualize what that means or what that tells us about the NBA. What would your takeaway as a Hoops fan, as an NBA fan, be looking back on this era where Jokic did this, considering everything that went into it, his seasons, the seasons of other players, the team success, the lack thereof, all of that? How how would you sort of like summarize or contextualize that in the history of the league and kind of the big picture? I mean, I think it's a, there's a whirlwind of so many things that create the perfect, like, sh- I don't know if I can cuss on this, the, the perfect storm of terrible oh, you, things. No, no, you can, you can <laughs> uh, cuss. The well, perfect, is, perfect you, shit storm is what, what, yeah, what, what's yeah. come together. And look, first of all, let me say, I watch Jokic every day. He amazes me. I, there's times when he, when I sit there and I go, this, how many players have I truly seen that are better than him? I'm not saying that, that this is where I land, but I'm saying there's a lot of times where I watch him where I'm like, He's just does stuff that nobody else can do when you factor in the touch, the passing, um, the endurance. It gets underrated, but how much this guy can play without... There's very few players that take on as much of an offensive and defensive load at the exact same time as as he does, and he somehow has the stamina for it. Like All the different things that he does are, are so amazing. But if we contextualize it, it's very rare for a player to lose this co-star at the very end of the season. Like So that first year, I don't think they would have lost in the second round in a sweep had they had their full complement of players. Maybe they would have lost in some capacity, but they wouldn't have looked helpless the way that they did. The second year, obviously going through, not with just with one co-star down, but a second co-star also down. It's another one of those areas where you can contextualize and say, is it a surprise that he didn't have the team success? Absolutely not. It, it was predicted Like everybody. That's exactly what everybody thought. And then the third rail of all of this is that the last two years have been the COVID years. The, 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 post COVID years, meaning you delayed the season, you went into a bubble, you had a short off season and you had the load management, which was already peaking. So these last two years where he won an MVP, some of it was because the contenders bowed out. They just decided not to go for it those years because they were either injured 
or because they only had eight weeks off for the offseason and they had to come back and play a bunch of games. Nicola was able to do it. Other guys didn't even try. So there were special circumstances. I don't think that there's anything nefarious about that. And I don't think that, and if people do think they have to like factor in historical precedent, fine. There's no criteria for MVP. If that's your criteria, by all means, go for it. But to me, I think that there are all these special circumstances that, that have led to it. And people don't acknowledge that. They just jump to, oh, well, it must be because of this. It must be because of that. It's actually probably because of these random factors that will never happen again. You get to this year, too, and it's like, now the team is hitting this really, really high level. Yep. And, like, they are a better basketball team than, let's say, like, Embiid directly. Like, they just are. Like, they are better than Philly. Bucks are kind of ascending. And maybe that changes things just in, in how good Giannis is. And I think the respect that a lot of people in the league and in the media like have for Giannis, maybe that changes conversation. But like Denver has been the best of those teams from pillar to where we are right now in this season. And that's that matters. Mm-hmm. Like if you're splitting hairs among all these great players and the, the the high, high level talent has arguably never been higher. Like it, it like there are just an insane amount of really, really good players in the league right now. I think like that also just matters. Like the the stuff you mentioned, I think the last couple of years is exactly correct. I think also this year, the fact that the Nuggets are as good as they are, mm-hmm. like it only bolsters the case for Jokic and like no team, like no team has like good answers for him. Like we've seen some teams have some success with defensive game plans and like do the, the, Hey, we're going to put Draymond have, or have we though? PG. Have we seen success? But like, not like sustained real success, but like success if you're defining it in like, did we make Jokic slightly annoyed in this one game? And then that. But here's my here's us. my thing about Yoke over the last like, especially this year, is that teams have tried all of those things and it hasn't mattered. It hasn't made a difference. Now maybe it will in the playoffs. We'll find out. But last year the Warriors had the number one defense in all the NBA. Denver had a 118 offensive rating in the playoffs. There they couldn't stop them. Of course, that was their problem. Yeah. But this is my point: is when people talk about this as like ups and downs and this or that, I watch it and I go. No team has actually stopped Denver. They've had nights where they've missed a few shots, but even then their offense has hummed, but no team has actually made them work. Um, they just end up adjusting and solving it. And that's part of what makes him such a unique player. Again, I'm not trying to say what this will be for postseason success. Another one, I'll throw this one at you guys, because I'm genuinely curious. This is like a half-baked idea, yeah. but it's something I think about. A lot of people say, you know, defense is half the game. And I always wonder, is it? If, if you came no. down and scored... Every single time but once in a, in a game, if both teams just, you scored 98% of the times you played, would we say defense is half the game? We'd probably say it's like such a small part. You really just need to have good offense because defense is almost negligible in, in its impact. This is actually where we are in the NBA right now in that offenses score about 60% of the time down, mm-hmm. more than half. And the times that they miss are often just variants from missing shots. Defense makes such a small impact, at least on the regular season. I think in the postseason, it makes a significantly bigger impact. But in the regular season right now, good defense, bad defense, team some. Joel Embiid was on the court last night, 147 points given up. Like, this is just this is the modern NBA. Nobody stops anybody. That's what I was going to say, actually, Adam, to, to answer my own question. I think the two things that I would say would be kind of the big picture takeaways if Jokic does win it this year, which I agree, I, I, I would say he, he will. And if I was lucky enough to be one of the people to get a vote, I would vote for him, is the COVID stuff. The kind of the most visible symbol, especially as we get further from it, of how weird these seasons were, right. you know, before before Russell Westbrook, it would have been we had that debate was a lot of how is such a low seed going to get it? Right. That part right. ended up factoring in with some of the early Jokic wins. It won't this year. Um, and so I think all the absences of the other candidates, the fact that he got it on a on a mediocre team because of the injuries would be one thing. I actually think the 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 era and what mattered and what was valuable and how you won games, it would be my other thing. And to answer your question too, I almost like get super basic with it. And it's like if you watched two guys play like one on one on a you know hard top at the park, you're probably not going to say that what right. the guy who won did to thought the other guy was what decided that, right? Like Mm -hmm. at its very essence, in terms of what you have to do to win, you got to score points. And so I do, I do hear where you're coming from. Um, I was also, I don't want to change the subject too much, but on the topic of the defense, I went back 
this afternoon we were getting ready to record and I rewatched the first half of the Memphis game from a few nights ago. Um, mm -hmm. Like really closely, just, okay. So to me, really, I almost fast forwarded through the Denver offensive stuff more so than anything. I was like, I just want to watch how they guarded jaw. What did Jokic do? Whatever. To return to something you said about the burden, Adam. Right. The mental processing that that dude does on both yep. ends, possession after possession, I I know that is like 16 layers too deep to happen in place of the craziness that, that's been on ESPN and whatever. But just watching the, even on defense, the alternate, uh, the alternating schemes that they're executing, the awareness right. of clock and lineup and ball handler and all that stuff that he has to do, even though he maybe isn't, you know, Wilt Chamberlain out there looking like right. he's he's bigger and, and more athletic than everybody. That really jumped out to me when I really got granular with that game, which was one of their biggest games of their season, even though they handled it pretty easily. And I thought his defense was good in that game. But to your point, yeah, offensively, there are players that are comparable to him in the load that they carry. I think Luca is one of them, you know, LeBron, where it's just sort of like every play is in their hands and they're kind of going through it. But defensively, when you're a center, teams are just going to inevitably put you in actions over and over again. Or, or even if they're not putting in you in actions, you're still captaining the defense. You're still communicating this or that. And I think, you know, going back two years to the Phoenix Sun series, the, the reason, in my opinion, that that series was not close was because they saw that and said, well, we're going to make him work twice as hard on the defensive end. And he has to make a decision. Is he going to have to put full effort on offense, full effort on defense? Ultimately, Denver said, let's play some drop. He's too tired. Let's just play him and drop and see what happens. And the Sun said, okay, we'll make a bunch of jump, uh, mid-range jumpers and just completely took advantage of that. But that's the thing is that no player, I think, carries that load. Whether they you want to value that or not, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't value it so much that a player has to do that much. To me, none of the stuff we've talked about so far is part of the Jokic argument for, for MVP. They're just interesting circumstantial things about him that make him unique. The thing you said about it, the, the load carrying, I think, is also worth learning because I don't think of him as a heliocentric guy in the same way I think I do right. some of these other guys. It's true. Like, he is not... He, he may have have the ball in his hands a ton and do all this stuff, but he's not like Luca or like Houston Harden in the way that he dominates. And it's like all about him. Like he's a I, collaborator. Like when, the whole thing is he just plays a series of two man games with four different players. Yes. Like I, I watched when we watched the, the Maverick Suns game from the other night or from that Sunday, Luca has Kyrie on the floor with him now. And the whole point of them getting Kyrie is to have another guy for Luca to play with and, and take some of the burden off of him. And it felt like the last four minutes of the game, Luca just didn't look at Kyrie at all. Jokic would never like Jokic is never going right. to do that. That is not in his DNA. And it's what makes him like, I'm sure he is fun as hell to play with. Right. I'm if not. If you, you don't think he's, fun I'm to not. Play with? Oh, I think, I don't he's think he's, <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, think he's, I, I think that I don't think Brendan, he's, you're, you're on you're crazy. I mean, You're he's more fun to play with than somebody significantly less talented than him. But when I'm comparing him to his counterparts at the very top of the league, I do feel like there's a lot of standing around. I don't oh, know. Oh my I mean, god, this is a, this is a, there. This is actually, I think, a wrong take. And and by the way, his players talk about this. Like Reggie Jackson just did a presser yesterday about coming into Denver and how how different it is than any other place he's been. Jeff Green, same thing, has been in like all these different circumstances with all these different teams. And it's the wait. One I was place talking about Luca. Oh, you're talking about Luca. Oh, oh, yeah. I thought oh, I you were also talking about. I definitely I agree about Luca. Yeah, I was talking about Jokic, and I thought yeah, I was, yeah no. we got some cross oh, wires okay. there. Sorry, when you said I'm sure he's fun I to was, play with, when you were talking about the Suns Mavs game, and you said Luca just didn't look oh. at Kyrie, and you said I'm sure he's fun to play with. Yeah, that's I'm what I was about, responding yeah, I meant to. Yoke, yeah, I meant Jokic is really fun to play Great. with. I did not absolutely mean that agree. Yeah. I, of course, he's a blast I was like, I was gonna, I was gonna catch. When you I guys were catch a flight to Denver, pick up Adam, get a rental car, and come to Phoenix. Oh, that's and kick a long the crap drive. You, when you guys like, were responding, I was like, "Is this a crazy take? Like we've oh, all been no. talking about this? Luca is is just kind of pounds the air out of the ball and gets to the you're, free throw line. I don't know what you guys are talking. Okay, you're we're right on the same Luca page sure. now. You're right about Luca for sure. He, Luca, Luca is like. I didn't think Harden was fun to play with either in this heliocentric thing. Like unless. Like, and I, I don't, I also just don't buy that that kind of basketball and like when you're not empowering the guys around you or like really like make, like, I think that there's two ways it can go. You can be like Jokic or LeBron and that you like really empower a lot of guys around you. And there's LeBron's LeBron. this way though. I think LeBron is, he's way not this way. He's not the, and Harden. He's gotten more like Luca and Harden as he's gotten okay. older. 
I think I think like I think like what he did with some of the stuff in Cleveland and I think like peak LeBron and making the right play. I but I think he's drifted in a bad way. Well, and, and leaned in, into some of this in Miami, they at least pushed the well. pace. You right. know, that's but, the thing about yeah. Luca and Harden yeah. that that makes it yep. especially unfun is you're going to you're going to have 90 possessions a game. You know, you're yeah. not even going to run. Mm-hmm. And that's at least like going to give you a chance to yeah. get open for a dunk or like get up and down and yeah. feel like you're playing a sport, which sometimes it doesn't and, and, with those and, guys. And the pace, like when like you get like a guy with a full head of steam and all of these guys are brilliant passers when they want to be it unlocks it just opens up more opportunities and like it's more organic for them to stop like putting the ball between their legs nine times instead they're they're finding and going or you there's so there's like the empowerment side or there's like i think the durant side which is durant's superpower which is the fact that he is like probably the most like i will slide in and like acquiesce to these other really good players and i don't suffer for it and like there's not really there's very few guys like that but like that's what make makes the Phoenix thing I think maybe work right away is that like he can slide in and it's like oh I can play with Devin Booker like I can just do this and it's not a problem that is like you he, there are very few guys like that but like those are the two templates of guys I would be looking at is like can this guy be the best guy and on the team that can win a title mm. I think where is Embiid in this in this discussion like do we think Embiid's fun to play with and and, and helpful in that way I I, 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 want, I, I want to let you guys take this one before I chime in. No, the smirk. The smirk tells me you have a take, and I don't know if I feel, like. I think the. I don't know how I feel about it. The reason that I would lean toward questioning that is less so even about the style that he plays, because I actually think he's adjusted a bit to Harden too in a positive direction this yes. year. Um, not in a huge way, but even the way he goes about getting some of his jumpers, the the way he goes about you know the shots that he does take, it's a little different. It feels like you can see him adjusting to Harden more so. I would say more than anything, it's the energy and the and the temperament that I watch him play with. Like I, I will never forget this game that I watch in early November. It's the game when Chris Paul got hurt this season, and the Sixers beat the Suns. And I like just dug into the Suns because of how awful the attitude and and energy was from the Sixers. The fact that they still lost to that team. And Embiid, like, all he did was get to the free throw line. He just took, like, 20 free throws, and that pretty much ended up being the difference in the game. They didn't make a lot of shots on their end either, but the Suns just could not do anything, and, and it seemed like Philly didn't even want to win the game. And that that vibe comes off to me a lot when I watch them. So I would say that would be maybe the bummer about playing with Embiid more so than, like, he hogs the ball or anything like that. I think it's a little bit, though, is the versatility because, you know, he, he does take up an enormous amount of space. And his spacing as a perimeter player is mostly about shooting. It's not necessarily about pick and roll or dribble handoff or, or those type of collaborative options. So that's the only reason I think that it's a little bit more. I mean, the thing about Jokic that I think is really, you, you were talking about KD being a plug and play player. Jokic only has about three or four players he's ever been a negative with. You know, when you do like two man mm-hmm. on offs, it's like Manuel Moutier, yeah. Trey Lyles, and maybe there's one or two other players throughout the eight years he's been in the league. And I think that's one of the things about him is that it's just like whatever your talents are, he'll, you know, you adjust to it. Whereas I think with Embiid, he needs to be inside. He needs to be running, diving towards the basket. And if he is spacing the court, it's more as like a shooter or, or this or that. So I just think, I don't think it's like unfun to play with him. He's a dominant player. But I do think there are players that would be like, I don't know what I do here. Mm. I want to end on this, guys. Jokic, as we hit, is the is the is the betting favorite for MVP. He's been, you know, the the Tim Bontem's like straw poll has had him really far ahead. Obviously, uh, Nuggets. The Nuggets, by the way, Bones. play Milwaukee and Philadelphia again. All all three yeah. of those teams play each other one more time. So <laughs> never good never job, un- good job yeah. good job <laughs> never underestimate the job, late narrative. So like, I think Embiid putting up forty seven against the Nuggets and on Jokic in particular in that fourth quarter, you know probably didn't move the lines well enough. I think part of that was Philadelphia kind of collapsed right after that. They had that game and then they dropped a bunch in a row to, to hurt the cause. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah. And then they got really good again. And like, we're not, have been really very, very good. Some of this is honestly, it's part. not fair, but it's just human psychology. Having the statement moments at the right time matter. And all of those guys will have a chance to have statement moments at the, the last two weeks of the season when they go up against each other. And I think that they will hold an irrational amount of weight. And I think it's good. They should. I think some of the 
calculus players people make is how did they go up against each other what did they look like so if someone that isn't Nicole Jokic wins MVP who are you who are you throwing out I think for me there's three candidates it is Giannis it's Embiid and it's Jokic those are the three and if I was going to pick one that I think could win it I think it's I think I would go Giannis I agree with that I think that here's here's what it is and I've been talking to people about this I think people are really bad at making cases for their player and I, and I'm dead serious about that. If it's Jokic, here's your argument. He's averaging a triple double. They have not lost a single game when he's had a triple double. They're 25 and 0 when he has a triple double. They have the number one offense in the history of the NBA. They actually have the number two offense right now. But they have the but to Sacramento. But both of those teams have the best offense we've ever seen, um, and they have the best record in the Western Conference. And then you can also throw in that he's having the first ever 60 40 80 game. Like he's having the most efficient 20 point per game score. So you could throw these like obvious markers in there and they're easy. We don't need to contextualize them. We just know, okay, these work. If you go to Giannis, they have the number one record overall. They have the number one defense. It might be number two. They keep going back and forth, but they might end with the number one defense overall. Um, And then he's averaging 30 something points a game. And these, it's easy. You don't need to put in all this other context. You just need to see he's one of the best defensive players in the NBA on the best defensive team, best record, and he's averaging 30 a game. And they did all of that with Middleton missing 50 games or whatever it was to start the year. That's a great case. I don't think people need to get into all of this like weirdness and all these other alternative <laughs> narratives. You just need to make hammer those points home till people are like, you know what? That is impressive. I think the Bucks will have more to play for down the stretch, like late, late, late into the season, yep. if they care about the one seed. Yeah. The, how, like if, if I said the Bucks win 60 games and the Nuggets win 57, does yep. that matter? Like, I don't know if it does. It, it might. Um, to, again, I think people want to give it to Jokic less than people realize. Like even the voters right now, I think there's like this media talking head pushback to the voters as in like, they just want to give it. I actually think they don't want to give it to him and they're trying to. And so if you have a three game gap, that's big enough that you can talk yourself into it being meaningful. We also just are in the dumbest. We Adam, I think to your point about like people making bad cases, we are in the dumbest point of the NBA like MVP debate. Where like we are getting now like I, I, the the full clip is the full clip in the thing made much more sense than like the thing that went around on social media, which is like often very no. true. I I want to like say that I was texting with uh for the program Eric Garcia Gunderson uh, about this, and he was like, I watched the clip, and I'm just like, Eric, bless <laughs> bless your heart for for doing that, and then I watched it myself, but. We're in the point where, like, I don't think any of the debates you hear when, like, you'd, like, throw in, like, a pregame show or, like, throw in a debate show, like, make any, they don't make any sense. And, like, they're, then, like, then people are now co-opting them to make points that, like, J.J. Redick is not even making. Like, we have lost, we have lost the sauce. Like, we have lost the point of all of this. I had a little bit of a, of a theory at one point that the, like, last year it was pretty heated, whatever. I was, like, with how much there is about, you know, the NBA doesn't have things to pay attention to in the regular season. There was part of me that was like, maybe it's actually good that we have this newfound, like deep passion and like invigorated debate over the MVP. But this, this season has proven me wrong. It's not good. (laughs) (laughs) These things are all good for media, but I honestly think that simplifying the narrative is the key to making a strong case. And for some reason, people have lost that over the last little bit. Last year, Jokic was the first player in NBA history to get 2000 points, 1000 rebounds, 500 assists. That's a cool number. That's a like that's an easy to remember, internalize. Yeah. No yeah. player has ever reached those three heights. Okay, that sounds really impressive, and and you can put all this stuff here. This year, it's he's averaging a triple double, and they haven't lost when he had a triple double. It's just easy. The Giannis has similar cases. All these players have other cases. What's not effective as an argument or for making a case is all of these esoteric and like abstract cases about why people vote this way or that way. And it's like that's too convoluted, man. Tell me, all right, Giannis, best defense, number one record. That's good. That's good stuff. I got it. All right. That's impactful. <laughs> well, that that takes that takes me back to a MVP race of a couple years ago: Russell Westbrook, James yeah. Harden, and mm-hmm. Kawhi Leonard. Every basketball nerd in the world, shout out to the King Zach Lowe. I think most most notably that comes to mind is like Kawhi. It's Kawhi. I think he in, in like he writes these columns and he's like oh, it's very detailed. But the Russ had. And he was winning a bunch of games, the narrative of his situation in Oklahoma City, and he had a triple. You know double. what else he had though? Boom. There was one other part of this that's really important. He had like seven game winners in the back half of that yeah. season. He had uh, the, one, had in the Denver, one in Denver. Right Denver the was year. like three yep. games left in the season. And I'm just telling you, that's why I say people can be swayed late because 
those things just feel when you go, a lot of people say, I'll know with my eyes when I see it. Well, you know what? If, if Joel Embiid hits a game winner in Denver with 10 days to go in the season, people will remember that. And they'll say, with imagine, my eyes, I know that, what I'm seeing and vice versa. Imagine if imagine if the shot against the Celtics said he threw up and it was right, at, right after yeah. the buzzer had counted. And that went too the early. Game. That was in February. People don't remember that. But like even still. But even still, like you clip that into a social package, yeah. and it's like, hey, like that's that's part of the narrative. It's yeah. that would have been a moment. I have a question, uh, Chris, to bring us full circle that we can close out with for Adam. Okay. So yesterday Uh-oh. or Monday on the show, we talked about that I went to see my high school alma mater win the state championship, and they have like these two sick prospects, one of which is going to Colorado. Right. Um, oh, the Williams kid. Yeah. Yeah, oh, incredible. Uh, he, Cody, Cody Williams, that, yeah. Cody Williams. Yeah, his brother, Jalen, that's the kid in yeah. the, on the Thunder. They both went to my high school. But so we were talking about this and I went to the game and it was cool. They blew him out. It wasn't close because that that's <laughs> just the talent they have. Who is the most famous basketball player that went to your high school, Adam? Is there anybody <laughs> that made it to like a good college, maybe I'm made it to the NBA? Anything? This is, this is not a humble brag. And this is this is more about how bad my high school was. But you, I think I'm actually him. I'm pretty sure I am. So we nice. didn't have a, a very prestigious <laughs> history of uh, basketball, uh, basketball talent. Wow. Yeah. I, I set you up to look really good there. We have, we have one banner. I think the school has been open for 70 years and we have one banner in our school. That's not even for winning a division. It was just a sentimental one for, the, for my senior season. <laughs> you know uh, what? Raise just like jerseys, raise the bar, raise the bar. 70 years with no banners. We're like, you know, what? let's just put one up, man. <laughs> I mean, look, like by that standard, like so, my high school, um, there's no one nearly that good. But LeBron James once played in a in a Christmas tournament at the school, so they should put up a banner <laughs> yeah. for that. LeBron played here with an arrow. Yeah, that's what it should be. That, yes. If that's your claim to fame, that's your claim to fame. Not everybody has the the athletes to to speak for. Also, Brock Purdy went to my high school, so we're really cleaning up lately. You're, you're, it's, it's a good yeah, time yeah, to be I a think... Perry Puma. Let me tell you. <laughs> I feel like you're just trying to like you're just like deep in your high school background, right? and I respect it because like hey, it's just been like, just like four it's months of, of random dudes. Like I told you yesterday when we were talking about it, my high school is nothing. It's a public school out in the sticks, and for some reason, all of a sudden, we're like a, a breeding ground for these elite athletes on That's awesome crazy. teams. I'm gonna take it. That's awesome. I don't get it, but I will take it. Adam, thanks so much for coming through. Tell everyone that doesn't already know where they can find you, where they can listen to you, what you guys are doing at Nuggets DNVR. post-game shows on DNVR. And then the only thing I'll plug is my documentary on Serbia I did that's at the top of uh, our YouTube channel. It's an hour-long documentary on the history of Yugoslavian basketball. And it's really, we went to Serbia to film it and research it, and it was really cool. And it's a great history. It's one of those cool histories that nobody knows. You were talking about your high school. Why are all these great athletes coming? You could say the same about Yugoslavia. Somehow all these basketball players come there and actually there's a really cool story as to why. The uh, every tweet I saw from you guys just looked like the greatest thing of all time, particularly when you guys were on it television. Was, yeah. That just it was, killed it me. It was even better than that if you could believe it. It was an unbelievable trip. It's amazing stuff. Brendan, take us out. Oh, thanks for joining us, <laughs> yeah, Adam. I'm, I'm, re- I'm, 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 I messed up at the beginning <laughs> and I want to like... No, uh, you, my, everybody my, follow, my social, follow us on social media, wherever you are. We are Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. Thanks to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for producing. The team is getting bigger here at Just Basketball, and we'll talk to you guys next week.